your news, your entertainment, your business. We're on a mission from God. This is The Rich Rothman Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Rich Rothman Show on 880 The Biz. Good to have you here today. I'm uh, overjoyed to uh, have you listening to us as perhaps you drive home today in this Kind of hot afternoon. Uh, Alex, pretty hot out there, huh? Oh, it's sweltering. Uh, you know, I, I went like a three-block walk this afternoon downtown. You need to change Colgate. your shirt, I bet. You, you got to go take a shower. Yeah. You know, just this has been a very hot summer. And I, I just think. got back from uh, Southern California where they have perfect weather. Oh, well, it's always perfect weather in Southern degrees, California. 80 degrees at the hottest, no humidity at all, 60 degrees at night. That's the greatest feeling when you used to have to get off a plane outside and you get to California after being in Florida, you know, forever, and you get off the plane and there's no humidity. Yeah. In fact, you can wear a sweater at night in California. And on the other hand, when I got back to uh, South Florida and got off the plane, oh, my God, I wanted to get right back on. That's correct. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the show. The number is uh, 866-954-4276. 866-954-4276. If you'd like to get involved in the conversation. Very exciting stuff again. I mean, we've been madder than hell since last week about everything, haven't we? Oh, definitely. Really, really uptight. And uh, let's, let's just hit everybody with that for a second. Just kind of set the mood for everyone. Take a listen to this, folks. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street, and there's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do, and there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe, and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to ride. I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Well, that's the way a lot of people feel right now. Now, evidently, when you look at the Rasmussen numbers and the polls that come out every week, Obama's ratings are dropping. He now has a negative 10. They're going, they were negative 5. Now they're, they've doubled to a negative 10. Because a lot of people feel the exact same way that, you know, Paddy Chayefsky wrote that film uh, back in the 70s, yeah, called Network, of course. And everyone knows that one. I'm madder than hell. And people are just annoyed the way things are going. Doesn't it seem a bit strange that, you know, for example, when uh, you know, we, we go ahead and, and have a TARP fund get out there for a, a trillion-dollar debt, the largest debt in the history of the United States from the start of the United States, from the first president of the United States? That doesn't concern anybody. Well, the service of that debt within, uh, you know, another uh, less than 10 years from now will be uh, about 86% of the GDP, and by 2026, it's going to be uh, allegedly 112%. That means you can't sustain that. You know, you just can't sustain that. Or we put somebody in charge of the, uh, the auto industry since, what did we do to it? We nationalized the auto industry. The government took it over. And who do they put in charge of the czar? I find that to be an unusual use of the words. Czar, they put a guy named Steve Ratner. Probably a nice guy. I'm sure he had a bar mitzvah. <laughs> but... I'm not so sure he knows anything about cars because he never did anything with about cars except maybe owning a car, or leasing a car, renting a car. He may have looked at cars. He probably got car magazines. He rode when he in a was car a kid. once. He probably rode in a car. I don't think he ever put a car together. Uh, as a matter of fact, this guy Steve Ratner didn't even run anything in manufacturing. What Steve Ratner did do in his earlier years, he was a writer for the New York Times. Well, that should tell you something, don't you think? Where is he coming from? And then he became... A tycoon, we use that in italics and quotation marks, uh, in the uh, banking and investment industries. 
So uh, that was really cool. So he comes in, and he's running. He's the guy, the overlord. That's a bit Brit, don't you think? He is the czar that's more on target. The car czar. The car czar. Has a nice ring to it, I think. Has a great ring to it, except that all of a sudden one day he quit. He just left. And people are trying to figure out, why did he quit? Why did he leave? Well, he left because maybe something is clouding his past, sort of like a lot of other people in the Obama administration. We all know that a lot of them don't pay taxes, do they? I don't think so. So we had that problem. So he leaves, and then the attorney comes in, another guy comes in to replace the car czar, who actually was an attorney for the United Steelworkers. So he represented the interests of the unions, which I find to be insane because that's sort of like letting the coyote and the wolf watch the hen house and making sure everything is just fine. All will be well. That seems to be the way it's going across right now. But it isn't quite well, and people are very, very concerned. And, and, and now that we said cars, now that we said cars, let's talk about the, the clunker program for a second out there, folks. The clunker program, which has been a billion-dollar deal, 157,000 claims have come through so far on the clunker deal, and within weeks it ran out of money. Alex, it's out of money. Is that a surprise? It's out of money. But you know what I find? Even beyond the fact that it's out of money and they're asking for another $2 billion, which, of course, Harry Reid all pay homage. Oh, of course. Harry Reid said, we will get that money for you. It's going to pass. From where? We're, I don't know. We don't know. We're going to print it. They got those little things turning out those dollar bills again. Hmm. All right. So the clunker program, today, the government was supposed to release the data as to where and who and when and why and how all the numbers on the clunker program. So we can make a good analysis whether it was a great idea to go ahead and spend a billion dollars on the clunker program. However, Obama's administration, LaHood, said, no, 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 no. We're not going to release those numbers quite yet. We're not quite ready to release those numbers yet. But you should give us another $2 billion. But we're not ready to release the numbers yet. And you want to know why? Because it has been leaked that six out of ten cars that have been purchased under the Clunker program, folks, are Hondas, Toyotas, and Hyundais, not Fords and not General Motors cars. The idea was to bail out and do something with the American car program. Now, granted, they're selling more cars along the way, but think about that. Six out of ten cars are being sold. They're overseas cars. I know the Obama administration is going to come back, and they already said this in response to some of the leaks that are coming out. Yeah, but at least those cars from the Honda, Toyota, and Hyundai, they're built in the United States. But the money goes overseas. See, it goes to Korea, it goes to Japan, goes overseas. They're not owned by us. They're owned overseas. So I find that to be amazing. And you know what else is further amazing out there? And you people should really be thinking about this, that if you look at the verbiage in the clunker program, you're supposed to trade in your car that gets this terrible gas mileage, and it has to be, you've had to own this car for a number of years, and it has to get bad gas mileage, okay? So you, you do that, you trade it in, but you know what? Nowhere in the clunker program does it say what type of car you should get. That would be a car that would be a gas savings car. Some that would get good gas mileage. The term is gas sipping. Right. But they don't do that. No. It, it, it wasn't part of the deal. The deal was you can get rid of your car and move on to an expedition and still get 10 miles to the gallon. All right. This is Rich Rothman. We're going to be right back in just a moment on the Rich Rothman Show on 880. Don't go anywhere because we're going to be talking about your life when you come back. Okay, welcome back. This is Rich Rothman, and uh, you've been listening to Boston. Just uh, for those of you who are wondering what that great music is, long time ago, a 25-year-old song, and of course, uh, great lead singer is no longer with us. Anyway, it still holds up today. Though. Oh, it's just they were just terrific. I really enjoyed their music. Uh, Doctor Jose David Suarez, you're on the phone. How are you? Hi. How are you? I am good. How are you, Doctor? Pretty good. Well, we're glad to have uh, uh, Jose Suarez with us today, Doctor Suarez, because we're going to talk about healthcare. Everyone right now. You know, the, the big buzzword right now, doctor, is, is health care. And uh, there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of mi- on both sides. Well, I don't know about on both sides. Cause I, I, I'll be fair and balanced. I'll say both sides. I'm not so sure about that. Certainly, coming from the government side, I don't trust anybody over there anymore. But, um, but you know, people want to know what's going to go on. And we've had a, a number of physicians on the show with us and a lot of leaders in the community. And, uh, and, and Dr. Suarez is uh, involved with Nova Southeastern University. Uh, School of Medicine, uh, Chairman of Family Medicine at Larkin Community Hospital in South Miami. 
Uh, he's he's been involved for many many years down here, even with the Department of Corrections in the state of Florida. But he's got some good stories about that. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and now when we when we have our dragnet section, we're going to get you back for that one. <laughs> you know? But he's also the founding physician for CMA Clinic in Miami, which provides health care. Uh, for at an affordable cost. Well, that's, there's the buzzword right now to over 50,000 uninsured Floridians. So welcome to the show, Dr. Uh, Suarez. So what's your take? You know, what's going on out there? And let, maybe you can give us some clarity from your point of view. Well, I, I felt um, actually it was very important to, to do something as a physician. We wanted to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. And if we're going to do real reform, let's do real reform. The problem is, is that y- you have to fix the infrastructure first. If you don't have a good infrastructure, you can't build on the system that, that we have. And one of the problems that we have, you really don't need any, any new funds, uh, more money into the system. We already have a $2.4 trillion system. I mean, the gross national product of the United States, it's almost 20% of our GNP. It's like at 16 17%. We have to fix several things. Number one, uh, medical malpractice. Um, you, you need to tackle that. Doctors work in fear. If you don't address malpractice, uh, it, it, you behave in a different way. It, it creates hostility. Um, you need to create um, transparency in the market. It's like going to a restaurant and just giving your insurance card and not knowing how much things cost. You know, if you go to a restaurant, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't give your credit card and not know how much things cost. You know, if you go to a doctor, um, you're not supposed to get or, or to the emergency room a three, four thousand uh, dollar uh, bill. You know, but then they 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 may give uh, a break to insurance companies and they may pay six, seven hundred dollars for the same services that they provide to somebody that doesn't have insurance. Well, so wait a minute. So what you're saying is that, and, and, and I think everyone would agree with this in the medical profession, tort reform is a top-of-the-list uh, change. Top-of-the-list. You know, because you're right. It's putting a lot of doctors out of business. A lot of doctors I know, a number of doctors I know, I should say, actually quit practicing. That's right. They just said, you know what, I've been doing this for 30 years, enough already, because I do not want to get involved in a lawsuit, the malicious lawsuit, that is going to just wipe me out, wipe my practice out, maybe even wipe out my family after devoting my life you know, to uh, to making people uh, better. So, Tory, reform, I agree with that. What's the next biggie for you? Um, I really believe that we need to create more family doctors. Right now, 28% of all the doctors in the United States are family doctors. Um, 72% are specialists. It's known that if you have too many specialists, that the, the cost of medicine costs much more. And family doctors are actually um, cost-saving. So we need to get rid of the 1997 Budget Act and create more family docs. That's important. Okay. Now, now somewhere along the way, I was reading some of the material that you all sent me. That uh, is there a cap on, on medical schools or a cap on, on doctors becoming or men or women becoming doctors? Well, this is the thing. There, you cannot if you have an existing let's say Jackson Memorial Hospital, uh, University of Miami. They have let's say eight slots for family medicine you can't expand on it because there's no but there's no funding for that the government won't fund for for more family doctors so they say we need more doctors but there's no funding for it so it's sort of like a catch-22 and we need more primary care physicians in the united states most developed nations have 50 percent primary care doctors and 50 percent specialists we have 28 percent primary care, and 72% subspecialist. So the cost of medicine goes up. The other thing, we, so the 1997 Budget Act has to be taken out. I mean, that, that's something that has to, be, has to uh, be taken down because you can't create more doctors. Okay, so that, that's got to be reversed. Right. Okay, what's, what's, what's another biggie that, that's concerning the doctors out there? The that we need to... Uh, Insurances, insurance uh, premiums should be tax deductible, or at least partially tax deductible. What will happen is, is that if it's tax deductible, your employer already can deduct that from as a business expense. More people would get involved and get uh, insurance um, if it's tax deductible. 
Right, but but in some ways, you know, you would think we're just the, we're we're diametrically opposed to that the way it is right now. Because if you get insurance from your company, you're taxed on it. Right. You know that becomes a, a form of income, and you have to declare that on your income tax, whether they're on a cafeteria plan or not. You're still going to have to declare somewhere along the way that your ins- your company, your employer, gave you insurance. And then if you look at the the bill that's being proposed right now. The different versions of the bill, actually, they're going in that direction as well. They want to tax. If someone gives you uh, benefits, they're going to tax 8% to the employer. You know, that seems to be going against what you're trying to say. Yeah, it's crazy. If, if, if a family, if a, if a working-class family goes out and buys insurance and it costs $1,000 a month, why can't the entire $1,000 or at least part of it be tax-deductible? It doesn't make sense. Why put a trillion dollars more into the system and then tax people? It's just, and then, so you're going to pay taxes on the trillion dollars and then pay taxes on the insurance that you get. Well, none of that makes sense to me at all. In fact, none of the bill that I've been reading uh, uh, makes any sense uh, to me at all. Because I think we're going in such, you know what scares me the most, Doctor? We have, and, and I'll bet you have to agree with this, we have the Beth best health care. I was, I was looking at Beth Israel. That's why I said Beth. The best health care system in the world. We People do. come here to save their lives as opposed to going everywhere around the world. You're right. And, and I don't hear that coming out of our president. I don't hear that coming out of the Congress. What I do hear coming out of these folks is that we want to tear down what we have and replace it with a single health care provider, which would be the U.S. government, which I find very scary. Yep. Rich, let me tell you something. As a family doctor, right now, Medicare basically, which is the government, basically uh, tells you how much money you're going to make on an office visit or a uh, appendectomy or cardiac catheterization. We have, I'm getting paid for Medicare the same exact amount that I was paid in the 90s. In the last 10 years, there hasn't been an increase. In fact, there's been a decrease, and the cost of living keeps going up. That's why when, when patients go to a doctor's office and there's 30, 40, 50 people in a waiting room, they have to do it because their overhead keeps going up, but the, but the government reimbursement keeps going down. Well, i got to tell you, the government has tried to run—well, first of all, they screwed up Medicare, they've screwed up Social Security, and i got to tell you, when you, when you talk to veterans— the, particularly those poor men and women who had to wind up in the Veterans Administration hospitals, they, they hate it there because those hospitals are not the best-run hospitals in the United States. And that's no. just a handful of people. And, and, and the government, usually there's a lot of waste, there's uh, a lot of excess, and then there's more administrative costs to, to, uh, to run medicine. And I think it's crazy. And that's another thing that we need to do. We need to decrease the administrative fees that insurance companies charge. For example, right off the bat, in the United States, 30 to 40 percent of the premium, the amount that you put in every month, goes to administrative fees. Right off the top, the insurance companies take off 30 to 40 percent. It's a lot of money. In, in other countries, it's around between 4 percent and 15 percent. So, I mean, that's a lot of money. No you, kidding. That's a lot of money. Killing. That's a, that's so a, that's a lot of band-aids. Another thing that we need to expand are HSAs. It's an insurance that's um, um, it's a health savings account, and it works like a, like a uh, savings account. Nobody's really talking about HSAs, and that's the way to go because you create a market. People know how much things cost. It's tax deductible. You could actually borrow money against it. As, as time goes on, as you, uh, you, know, you get more funding into the HSA. And HSAs are a great way to get a lot of people that don't have insurance with insurance. Well, but the irony of that, doctor, is, and, and you're very correct on that, everyone's recommending across the board, uh, of course, except, of course, those in Congress right now, um, that HS, you know, ho- um, the, the, the savings accounts for health care are a, a great opportunity for great Americans. Opportunity. But you know what? It's being taken out of the bill as it's being written. They're I not going to have that. I know. You're right. Does, doesn't that seem? Now, now, let's pull back for a second. Let's look at, you know, all the trees and not just the individual ones. When you look at this uh, as a doctor, do you think, uh, in your opinion, your humble opinion, do you think that uh, taking the entire system and tossing it out the window and coming in with a new system with a trillion dollar, so they say, 
uh, bill uh, is the way to go? Or do you think we can keep what we have and, yes, let's make amendations, let's make corrections on what exists right now because there are inequities, as you just pointed out? Rich, like you said before, we have the best health care system in the world, but we also have one of the worst health care systems in the world. All right, explain that. For, okay, there, there's so many people that don't have insurance, and they really need access. All we need to do is fix the infrastructure, get government out of health care, get the lawyers out of health care, create, uh, get the insurance companies out of health care or managing health care, and let the patient and the physician run the show. And if you do tort reform, if you, there's more transparency in the market, tax deductions, more family doctors, HSAs, simplify the, the medical documentation. Do you know how much I have to document and nurses have to document? When you go to a hospital right now, all you see is the nurses writing down, uh, documenting uh, things, and that's for reimbursement and for legal purposes. And well, that's it. You're, you're very, very more right. more time with, the, with a chart than we do with a patient. No, it's terrible. The paperwork is awful. Uh, Nurse Jackie, I just happen to know I watch that on TV now, and, and I also watch Trauma Life in the ER when I have insomnia. I've been through a lot of procedures now. It's all paperwork. And, and that is an awful situation. My wife's a pharmaceutical rep, so she's very friendly. We're very close to many, many physicians in South Florida. And that's a big, big complaint. So what, what worries me is that we seem to be, I don't understand why we want to self-destruct the system. Exactly. There, was, there was a statement that Obama made, that President Obama made, I shouldn't have said it that way because it's kind of telling you where I'm at, where President Obama made last week on television where he complained, this is on his, on his nightly, you know, the, the big roundup on a Wednesday at prime time. He said doctors have to stop being compensated for the number of procedures that they do, and they should then be compensated on the good things, the, the good care that they give. Now, I don't know what the hell that means, to be perfectly honest. I find that to be highly insulting I of the health care system. Don't you? Absolutely. Listen, would, would he be, that he's sending out such a wrong message to all Americans that doctors are just money-hungry individuals, which is terrible. You know, the, ne- the following day, I saw a friend of mine, and he says, oh, I, I have to go see a kid with a sore throat. I'm going to order a tonsillectomy on him, which, as a joke, we, we don't do that. I mean, that's basically what he said, that doctors that's rather right. do tonsillectomies. He used that, exactly. That, that sends such a negative. That's, you could tell where he, what, what he's thinking. He thinks his doctors in a, in a, in a negative light, and that's not, that's not the way to fix the health care system. He doesn't trust us. He's telling America, don't trust these guys. We're going to fix them. What you didn't notice, and he said this, he, he said the Mayo Clinic and the Cleveland Clinic are models that we should have. Do you know why he said that? Because a month ago, there was a writer in the New Yorker that's probably friends of, of President Obama, um, and he said that if all the doctors were salaried employees, everything will be okay which actually is, is not a true statement. I think the beauty of our system is how diverse it is, and, that, and we really need to fix the infrastructure. If you create, if you take all the doctors and give them a salary, um, and in some respects that's good. I mean, there are uh, some companies that do a good job, you know, the Mayo Clinic, the Cleveland Clinic, the people are in salary, that's fine. And academics, I think that's great. But it's, it's not you can't put everybody in the uh, in the same system. You can't create just one system. That's the beauty of capitalism. When you give good patient service, when you, um, you you take care of the patient, he basically just wants to destroy the system. Everybody's on on a on a on a salary, and we're going to have health care like they have in England and in Canada. Pretty scary. It's pretty scary. It's very scary. I mean, and that's the, what basically he wants to do. Well, what scares me uh, are the are the stats that come out uh, out of Europe. For example, you could wait the average wait in a socialized medicine in Norway, Sweden, and Britain uh, for bypass surgery uh, is forty six days. That's once you get on the list to get on the list to wait for forty six days. So we could take you, you know, sixty days before you can get your bypass surgery. You know, in the United States, and and you know, if some you go in the hospital complaining of chest pains, and they find out. 
you know, they do something to find out where the blockage is. They go, oh, my God, you need quadruple bypass surgery. You're going to drop dead. You're not going to wait 46 days. You may wait 24 hours. And that next day, you're going to be do- you're going to be doing your surgery because we have a responsible system. And uh, but I'm, and the time that's remaining, we only have about a minute. You are very savvy in media. You've created a website and you've created a documentary. Talk about that for a second for yeah, folks. Well, basically, I wanted to create a grassroots effort to to save the practice of medicine in the United States for not only the doctors but for the patients because this is going to hit. Every single American, if we don't stick together and save medicine and save the practice of medicine for the patients, it's over. And um, we just, you know, we have a little sizzle on the uh, on our website, uh, www.usaandicu.org, and we want to create a grassroots movement and, and bring it to our legislators and um, and to the public in general, you know, in general, to to do something, to create a movement. Well, I think what you said is important, and we've got about 30 seconds. People need to get involved right now. You cannot sit back. You cannot wait to to, uh, have something happen to you. Dr. Suarez is right. Let's give him that that website again, doctor. It's uh, www.usainicu.org. All right, you need to go there, and if they want to check you, where can they get a hold of you? Um, they could call me at the office, 305-232-0705, or they could just on the email me through the website. Well, that would be terrific. Listen, we're going to get you back on the show, because this is an ongoing dialogue. We have to fight this tooth and nail and, uh, and hold on to what we've got, but build on it. Make it better. And you know what? The, the capitalist society, the free market society will solve the problem. That's what America's all about. You're right. Thank you for being on the show, Doctor. I appreciate you being here. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. All right, we're going to take a short break right now, and uh, we'll be right back on The Rich Rothman Show, and we've got lots more to talk about. Don't go anywhere. The new Miami International Airport. A new 350-space ground-level short-term parking lot. The new Miami International Airport. The only U.S. airport with sleep pods. The new Miami International Airport. The international gateway to the Americas with more flights to South America than all U.S. airports combined. The new Miami International Airport. And coming soon, 61 new retail and food shops to add to your airport savoir-faire. Come experience the new Miami International Airport and watch us move towards the future. The new Miami International Airport. Where in South Florida can you find a truly elegant hotel with 276 luxury guest rooms offering a newly renovated championship golf course, tennis courts, the largest hotel swimming pool in the country with private poolside cabanas, a world-class spa, and an award-winning fitness center with a restaurant that Zagat called one of the best restaurants in the country. All spread over a 150-acre tropical paradise landscape. Give up? At Biltmore Coral Gables, Miami, a golf and spa resort. Built in 1926, Biltmore Coral Gables, Miami, the golf and spa resort, is a South Florida landmark. With all the amenities to make your next getaway weekend or night away from the kids a memorable experience. Visit www.biltmorehotel.com for more information or call 1-800-747-1926 for reservations. Your next great getaway weekend or night out awaits you at Biltmore Coral Gables, Miami, a golf and spa resort. 
Do you own a business outsourcing your accounting? Then call the accounting and tax experts at TNJ Tax Service. For over 30 years, TNJ Tax Service has been preparing taxes for South Florida companies and individuals. As enrolled agents with the Internal Revenue Service, the pros at TNJ Tax Service can represent you or your company professionally to the IRS. Have challenges with your company's bookkeeping? Then call TNJ Tax Services. QuickBooks certified. TNJ Tax Services can provide training on QuickBooks for any small business. If you need monthly or quarterly bookkeeping services to handle all of your payroll and business needs, then you need to call TNJ Tax Service. Located at Taft and Flamingo in the Pillbox Plaza. Call 954-432-1700. 954-432-1700. TNJ Tax Services. No one covers local, national, and world news like Rich Rothman. And no one covers local, national, and world shipping like DHL. DHL. Customer service is back in shipping. From Atlantic Radio Network. Fresh talk with a South Florida flavor. This is the Rich Rothman Show. Hey, and what I like about you is that you're listening to The Rich Rockman Show right here, 34 minutes after the hour on 880 The Biz. The number is 866-954-4276. On the phone right now is Jim Lasky uh, out of Chicago, uh, who's also on WGN out of Chicago. So, Jim, welcome to the show. Sorry to make you wait so long. No problem, Rich. It's always a pleasure. Hey, listen, I want to get right to a point here that's really, really hot, and this is right out of the Internet right now. Um, uh, ranking member of the Oversight and Government Reform uh, Committee for the Republicans uh, has issued a letter criticizing Rahm Emanuel for strong-arming congressional people and governors of states that are criticizing Obama's stimulus plan. There's a letter posted right now, and he's saying basically, um, I and others have dared to bring these facts to the attention of President Obama, the Congress, and the American people, Issa wrote. You're unfortunately reacted by once again resorting to the playbook of the Chicago political machine. In other words, Jimmy, people are getting fed up with the Chicago politics in Washington, D.C. What do you think about that? Well, you know what? It's funny because you and I actually had this conversation about nine months ago before uh, President Obama, uh, when he was Senator Obama, and we were talking about his inexperience and his Chicago roots and his connection to the daily machine and politics as usual in Chicago. And we said that, and I actually wrote a piece that appeared in a number of newspapers across this country saying, will the Chicago flavor of politics work its way into the White House? And my, the bottom line was, you bet it will. And, and, and it's proving out right now, and it's only what's going into his seventh month in his, uh, in his uh, administration. And you have the Rahm Emanuels, you have the David Axelrods, you have the Valerie Jarrett's, all key players in Chicago at one point in time, all involved with Daley, Mayor Daley, and his administration all at one, in one point in time. Rahm Emanuel's first political job was a fundraiser, was being a fundraiser for Mayor Daley. That's right. Now, wait a minute. We should tell everybody, of course, your background. You know, you've been in politics for, what, a, almost a quarter of a century. I, you know, from 1978 until uh, 2006, and then I went on sabbatical. You went on sabbatical. Now, you were the city clerk. You actually got more votes in your last election than uh, Mayor Daley, which is probably not a good thing to have had happen to you. No. That puts you on the radar. But you knew all these cats. Now, listen to me. Listen to this. Here, this is from a news release directly from the Committee on Oversight and Government Reform. Quote, I'm quoting now. I've got it right in front of me. Anybody can go to, uh, to the Internet and catch this. Following reports that White House Chief of Staff Rahm Emanuel has been orchestrating an effort to intimidate members of Congress and governors who raise legitimate concerns regarding the effectiveness of the stimulus package. House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform Ranking Member Daryl Issa, Republican of California, sent a letter to Emanuel saying, while this type of scare tactic may work in Chicago, it will not work to intimidate me or other members of the United States Congress. That's a heck of a statement to make. It's good for him because, you know what, Rahm Emanuel wouldn't have made, wouldn't have became congressman if Daley, Mayor Daley didn't send the patronage army out in that congressional district to help Rahm Emanuel get elected. Rahm Emanuel rose through the ranks of the DNC because of Daley and the David Axelrods, and he became, what, the second highest ranking member in the DNC, 
and then uh, you know one thing led to another with Obama, and then he became his chief of staff. But the bottom line is, is that they are all, when I say all of them, I mean the Emanuels, the Axelrods, and uh, President Obama are very well-schooled in Chicago politics, where it's not about arm-twisting, it's about arm-breaking. It's either my way or the highway. Well, it's very interesting that what's really happening is that evidently he's orchestrating letters that are going out from the Secretary of Transportation, Ray LaHood. And, uh, and they're saying each letter is finished. And this is, they claim this is being written by Rahm. However, this is what he's saying to the governors and to the congressmen who would disagree with the president. However, if you prefer to forfeit the money we are making available to your state, as Senator, Senator Kyle suggests, please let me know. And they'll take, they'll, you know, they'll take the money away, which, you know, a lot of governors will probably say, great, take the money away. We don't need, we don't want the strength. I mean, evidently, Sarah Palin said that. We don't want the money. Some of the, uh, I hate to say this, the governor of South Carolina said the same thing, and then he left for Argentina. But, you know what I mean? Hey, you know, when you got to go, you got to go. Right. But, uh, but I got to tell you, what, what, it, it, it seems like, Jim, that Chicago politics, Axelrod, not a great guy. Rahm Emanuel, not a good guy. Not a, these are not nice guys. These guys will bend the arm to get anything out there that you know Obama or whoever is behind Obama really wants. What say you? Well, the Axelrod, they call him Axel Rude in Washington. Oh, really? Yeah. Axel Rude, that's good. I'd bet I like people, that one. Yeah, Alex likes that one a lot here. It'll be a new show term, I think. Axel Rude. Gotta, I'm going to write that down. Axel Rude, and then they call Rahm Ram. You sleep with the fishes, Emmanuel. Well, that we know that. Everyone's known that because right. uh, he did send the dead fish to somebody. We'll right. let you so know what, I mean, a, what this, a sweetheart. This is, this is something that's been talked about for uh, a number of weeks now on national uh, TV, and all these commentators are saying, you know what, now the Chicago way. They call it the Chicago way. Like I said, you and I were, you know, we were ahead of our time here. We talked about this months ago. That's right. I warned, I warned everybody, you don't know what you're getting if you vote for this guy, Obama. You don't know what you're getting. Number one, and I said this, you can go to my website, because we're, 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 we're recorded, obviously. We have all the tapes, and we are on iTunes. You can go back to any podcast that we did. And I'll tell you something, I warned that he was going to, number one, turn on Israel right away, and he's doing that. Number two, he is going to socialize medicine. He socialized the banking industry. He socialized the largest manufacturing sector, which is cars. And, and he's about to destroy health in this country well let's 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 talk, let's throw one more thing out there all right go ahead he, he feels and i keep saying this and I, I say this with tongue in cheek he feels our pain okay he feels our pain but he finally made a decision last weekend and, the, and your your listing audience should be happy he made a decision he decided where he's going to go on vacation this summer and he's going to that 20 million dollar estate at martha's vineyard okay i feel your pain yeah i feel your pain. i feel your pain basketball court it has a, a golf range it has uh, you know it has a number of amenities and for the average and i shouldn't say the average joe blow because the average joe blow couldn't afford this it's about thirty five thousand dollars a week and our president and his family because he works hard you know he works hard he's gonna you know he's gonna show people you know that he's gonna tighten the belt and and do the right thing and he's gonna go to martha's vineyard and go out go to a 20 million dollar estate and tell everybody how he feels their pain. Let me tell you something. I, I was watching the news, obviously, 24 hours a day. I, I, I watch news because I prepare for doing these shows, and I do a couple of st different shows. But if you look at the pictures of Obama, and hey, Alex, how come we didn't get invited for a beer in the White House? I know. I was actually uh, knocking on the door like Shaquille O'Neal trying to get in the front uh, gate. You know, can I get a Rolling Rock, yeah. a good American beer? I even brought my own beer. I would have I would have brought a six-pack. I had a cooler, in Why fact. don't we all go to the White House? But you know what I found interesting is that uh, Dr. Gates, uh, the gentleman who was uh, arrested, uh, and actually probably the only one who really showed racist activity at the time, uh, soon to be followed by our president, by the way, who really did show racist activity. Uh, and then we had uh, Detective Crowley. We had the Sergeant Crowley there. Those two guys were bonding, if you notice that. They were walking hand in hand, and, and, and Sergeant Crowley was helping Gates, who, by the way, has a handicap. He walk, walks with a cane. And Obama is just, like, walking 40 steps ahead of them down the steps to where they're going to have a beer in the garden and, you know, and maybe, I, I guess they had some pretzels or something. Do you think they put pretzels out for him at those I don't things? know, but I know they had some non-alcoholic beer. I bet he had beer. some. They probably, yeah, and, they had, and Biden was drinking non-alcoholic beer because, hey, you know, I don't understand that because if, well, if Biden went to Syracuse where I went, everyone drank beer. The, the Chicago Tribune's headline was, Cold Beer, Cool Heads, and No Apology. 
and that's what it comes down to. And like I said, Barack Obama, and I said this on WGN, President Obama made a non-story, or at the best, a one-day story, into a national discussion about race, racism and racial profiling in this country. Well, you know, the, the, the whole point is, number one, there wasn't any racial profiling. The oh. guy went there because he was told someone's breaking right. in. Well, and, I, and I said this over and over again. You know what? How about somebody owes the woman who made the phone call, the 911 call, because she was doing her civic duty. And in this country, we have people who close their blinds, okay, who close, just walk away from a crime and don't do anything. This woman actually saw a couple guys. That didn't sound good. That didn't sound good. I think we lost him. I'm sure he'll call back. Yeah, we'll have we'll have him call back. Well, that was unfortunate. He got so excited. He got though, so I think, excited. Uh, yeah, yeah. He he, uh, he pulled the plug or something. Or or so excited he didn't pay or, his cell phone no. bill. Wait a minute. Mm. I think I know what it was, folks. Rahm Emanuel figured out where mm. he was and shut down the phone system. I think I'm going to go with that because uh, he was <laughs> criticizing what was going with Rahm. The point is that. Uh, uh, Jim Lasky, uh, for those of you who are listening, Jim Lasky, and you're listening to 880 The Biz, The Rich Rothman Show right now, at 44 minutes past the hour. Uh, Jimmy, of course, was, is the, uh, was the city clerk in Chicago, second most powerful man in Chicago for many years. He was an alderman uh, prior to that, which is what they call their uh, commissioners in, in Chicago in the many, many districts. And, and Jim was very, very well liked by the police, by the fire department. Um, Wrote a book, My Fall from Grace. You ought to get a, get a copy of that. You can go to Amazon.com, My Fall from Grace, and uh, learn all about what J- uh, Jimmy's life has been like. But Jim knows all these folks and knows what it is like to do the politics in Chicago. And it really is a very unusual place in terms of doing um, you know, uh, po- political uh, expediencies uh, in Chicago. It's just not. Jim's just back, not. by the way. Okay, Jim, you back on the phone? Yeah, my other phone went dead. I, I think maybe Daly had something to do with it. That, no, no, we were saying that we think Rahm Emanuel probably had something to do with that. You know, So we <laughs> well, were saying that you know all these cats, you know all these people, and, and it looks like they're trying to do the exact same thing uh, in, in Washington that they did in Chicago. And you saw this for 20... Well, my God, you, when you started in Chicago, who did you work for? Who was that real powerful guy? Uh, Bill Lipinski, the congressman committeeman. Um, no one messed with Lipinski, right? Right. Right, but he was tight with Daly. But you know what? It, it's all about, you know, Daly hasn't seen an independent city council since he, you know, uh, I shouldn't say independent, independent thinking city council since he became, uh, became mayor 20 some years ago. I mean, that's how it is. Nobody, when I say nobody, the Barack Obamas of this world and the Richard Daly's of this world don't like somebody else telling, coming up with an idea. If it's not their idea, it's a bad idea. And Barack Obama, and I've said this over and over again, he is going to prove to people. Right or wrong, with the Emanuel and the rights, when he has a piece of legislation, he's going to get it passed, no matter if it's good, bad, or whatever. He doesn't care what people think. I'm the president of the United States, and this is what I believe in, and you're going to do it my way. That's his attitude, and that's the daily attitude from Chicago. Well, and again, that's a Chicago attitude. Well, listen, we're going to have to split right now, Jim. I want to thank you for being on the show. You can catch Jim Lasky on WGN out of Chicago, and uh, we're really glad to be able to listen to you. And you can catch it on uh, WGN.com on the weekends, right, Jim? Correct, on the weekends. Yeah, and unfortunately this weekend the Cubs are playing late games, so I'll I'll be on the following weekend. All right, that's right. I know, Cubs play late, Lasky's off the air. That's the way it goes. Anyway, Jimmy, (laughs) thanks for being there. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Take care. All right, we're going to switch over right away. This is called segueing immediately. Uh, We're going to go over to... uh, (laughs) <laughs> We're going to try and do that. Anyway, I want to welcome Mark Rosenberg to the show. Mark, how are you? I'm doing great, Richard. How are you? Well, nice you're doing you're you. doing terrific. I think the word that I would use, I've known Mark for a long, long time. And he said, <laughs> no, 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 li- listen. First of all, everyone has to know that Mark Rosenberg is the new president of FIU. And, and I'm very excited for you, Mark. I've been gone for about three years after we sold everything in 2004. And I got out of the media business and I came back. And then I find out all these wonderful things about you, and I'm so excited for you, Mark, because you're like 30 years in this community here. I am. Uh, we love this community, Rosalie and I. We've been here. We went away, like you, to Tallahassee, where I served as chancellor of the state university system for for three years, and now we're honored and privileged to come back uh, as uh, president of Florida International University. So, um it's just great. FIU is a spectacular institution. Uh, it's got a huge impact in this community, 130,000 graduates, and uh, we just started a medical school yesterday, Richard. I, 
I hope I hope you saw that. Well, yes, actually, we I I actually was reporting that a long time ago when it was being approved. We were trying to help right. uh, FIU with some commentary in one of the magazines I own, South Florida CEO. But yes, it, you know, uh, there's a there's a great story um, about FIU. It's sort of like FIU is on the make in life right now. I mean, something spectacular has been happening with FIU. You're right. You've got law schools. You've got a tremendous business school. I have a lot of friends at the business school. And, of course, uh, you know, Dr. Elam, who's the, who was a, uh, at, at the school, was a close friend for many, many years. Um, uh, you know, it goes on and on and on. But you, well, Joyce, you're, Elam, you're, Joyce Elam is a visionary. Just terrific. She has excellent faculty. And you know what? We have some excellent graduates who have come back to support the College of Business. So, you know, it, it really does. It's strong leadership, but we also have a great group of uh, grads who have come back to help us. But you also seem, it's sort of like, you know, when Jeb was in, Jeb pushed very hard to get you guys out into China. You have a program in China, which is terrific. Right. You know, you now have a medical school. You're, you bring in a lot of uh, folks from Central and South America. It, and you have, what, 38,000 full-time students now? It'll be 39,000 this fall, and um, we'll, in the next 10 years, take on another 15,000, 20,000 students. We are doing over $100 million of sponsored research, and that's really without our, our medical school coming online. We're graduating 8,000 students a year. About half of the teachers in the Dade County Public Schools are graduates of Florida International University. And as you know, we've made a major new investment in intercollegiate athletics. We have a fine football coach. Well, you, football you have week. you have a, a spectacular you know. coach coming, and I think you've got some very exciting things happening. I think that's going to do a lot for uh, the alumni association to get more involved with with the university. Let me ask you this: cause th these are very difficult times, and and I know they are for you. And one of the comments you made when you uh, were uh, being inducted, so to speak, as as the president, was that we face incredible challenges right now. Uh, financial challenges, uh, Mark. Right. What's your vision for the university as you take over from you know took over from Mitch Medik, whom we've known for many many years? Well, uh, here's the here's the bottom line on the in on the challenges. We're trying to run a 2009 uh, university with a year 2000 budget, and and we can do that um, because the governor and the legislature have given us recently authority over tuition so at least we have a sense of how to have a predictable budget my vision is to have a leading student-centered urban research university known for its local and its global engagement we want to be the go-to institution in this community to solve community problems we want to be the go-to institution to address international issues we have the expertise we have the graduates we have the horsepower we have the energy to help this community move, move to the next level so as you as you develop the, 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 the different colleges within the university, you know, what's, what's your focus on this? I know medicine is going to be important because you're starting out right now. Well, Richard, we, you know, we did open a college of medicine, but let me tell you, we just also uh, created a new school of public and international affairs, the only school of its kind south of Atlanta. That is very important for our community. We have a strong Latin American and Caribbean studies program. That will continue to be strong. Our business school is ranked in top 10 undergraduate and international. Our School of Accounting continues to be very, very strong. Our School of Hospitality Management is a key player here in South Florida and nationally in terms of providing hotel and restaurant management. We have excellent art museums. The Frost Art Museum and the Wilsonian are real, real treasures. So we have a lot happening. The issue is to maintain the quality and to expand the access so, so eligible South Floridians can get into the university and graduate in a timely manner. In terms of ranking, since you're now going to be around 39,000, I mean, where does that, that must put you in the top, what, two or three in the state right now? Well, in the state, it's interesting. We're actually the, the, the fifth largest. I mean, we have large institutions in public in two state of Florida, University of Florida, University of Central Florida, University of South Florida, Florida State and FIU in that order. So, uh, but nationally, we're one of the top 25 largest public universities. And, um, you know, size, 
size is, is important, but quality is very, very important because, Richard, you're, you as an employer, when you hire our graduates, you expect them to be competitive. And our faculty understand why that's critically important. Our students graduating from FIU have to be competitive because the economy is global, the challenges are global, and wherever the world of work takes them, they have to be able to deliver. Well, you know what I find really great for you, and, and I embrace, and we've all known this and been on committees together over the years, too many years, uh, that <laughs> we happen to be in one of the most exciting international trade infrastructure cities in the world. Miami is, it is a gate. I know everyone says this, and it's said over and over again, but you have to really embrace that. We have the top accounting firms. We have the top law firms. We have top healthcare organizations. It's funny we should be saying that as it's about to be dismantled. We have the top healthcare organizations. We, we fight hard to bring people into Miami because we have world class healthcare. We have a wonderful port operation system. We have the number one airport in, into this part of the world. In and out. We have the best schedules. We have the best cargo. We have free zones. And we have all the infrastructure that's here so when your students need to have that flavor your students need to somehow assimilate into the business world it's all here mark well it's here and, and we also have one of the the world's leading community colleges in miami-dade college and one of uh, my very first meetings today today's really my first day richard is uh, i met uh with uh, dr eduardo padrone who needs no introduction oh absolutely He's done a, spect a spectacular job in providing uh, access and quality education for so many residents that matter to us. So that's one of my first meetings, and we're going to be working a lot more closely with Dr. Padron. We're going to be working a lot more closely with the key agencies and institutions in this community because our students want internship. Our students can get that practical experience, and it's world-class practical experience. So, uh, you know, this is just some of the reasons why I was – enthusiastic about the opportunity to come back and then thrilled and honored to be selected as president of Florida International University. No, this is this is this job was made for you, Mark. This is absolutely perfect. Well, so and, and you know what's even that. better? The fact that you moved back from Tallahassee, we have better Chinese food. I just want you to know that. Well I Tallahassee <laughs> you know honestly, Tallahassee's a charming place. But we like the big city. We like the diversity of Miami. We like the connections of Miami, and we love Florida International University. So we're home. Yeah, this is terrific. Listen, you're uh, just before we split. You're uh, you're speaking tomorrow, aren't you, at the chamber function? Yes, at, at the Greater Miami Chamber of Commerce, uh, and uh, you know the Greater Miami Chamber of Commerce is one of the top business organizations in the state, and I've been honored to to speak there on the second full day of being president of FIU. So I'm going to try to sketch out a vision and some of the challenges that we confront and. Business community is very important for FIU, and I'm thrilled to be able to, to work hand-in-hand hand with them. Well, you know what? You are so energetic. You always have been, and you've always been so good at anything you Thank touched. You. We're excited Thank to have you, and I'm honored you're here on your first day. God bless. That's Thank terrific. You, sir. Thank you. All Thanks right, Mark. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you. Okay, Richard. Take care. Bye-bye. I am just excited for Mark Rosenberg. Dr. Mark Rosenberg, new president of Florida International University. He is going to take it to another whole level. After it's just soared to a great level. I want to thank Mark for being on the show today. Alex, great show. Good discussion. It was a lot of fun. All right. Well, listen, guys, we're going to catch you next week on the Rich Rothman Show right here on 880 The Biz. Have a great evening. We'll see you next time. We'll be back next week. I'm new wave, but I'm old school, and my inner child is outward bound. I'm a hot-wired, heat-seeking, warm-hearted, cool customer, voice-activated and biodegradable. For more of the good, the bad. I interface with my database. My database is in cyberspace. The business. So I'm interactive, I'm hyperactive, and from time to time, I'm radioactive. This is the Rich Rothman Show, 880 AM, The Biz. Oh,